Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au If you have your Bibles, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14. The ushers will be at the back and they're going to do a test, randomly pick people to see if you remembered all the announcements. All right, so they just, just get ready. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. All right, uh, all of that, go to uh, social media and whatever. It should all be on there, uh, all those dates and, and stuff there. So that's uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. Um, says this, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Let's pray. So Father, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you that every time we open the Word, you speak to us. Your Word is living and active, powerful, uh, has the capacity to transform the human heart. And so, Lord, we look to you today. Father, let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this Word. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let there be nothing in our hearts that prevents us from hearing the Word. We're hungry to hear your word in amongst all the words. We're hungry to hear one word. It's your word. And our ears are open to hear from you. Let there be a spirit of wisdom and revelation. As we look at the word, let it jump up into our hearts and into our minds. Bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Let there be freedom here today, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to share a two-part series um, on the subject, The Promise. Uh, every year as a pastor, I um, will try and share on some uh, important topics, topics like the power of prayer, uh, the purpose of the church, baptism of the Holy Spirit, sort of like some standard messages that I think every single year uh, we need to, to, to share on the power of giving. Uh, and I also believe that it's important that we talk about the family and also marriage. We're living in an age where the concept of marriage is being uh, questioned, redefined, and it's important that we speak about this from a Bible perspective, from a biblical perspective. Uh, as we look at the data, we know that 50% of marriages end up in divorce, which is quite an alarming statistic, really. Uh, it's not something we should just accept. We kind of do accept it, uh, but, but it is a reality. And despite that, people are still uh, lining up to get married. I mean, people still continue to get married, which is kind of uh, pretty amazing, really, uh, considering those statistics. There's nothing else in the world that we would do if we knew that there was a 50% chance of failure. Uh, if, there was, uh, if you were about to be served a meal and the waiter said to you, listen, uh, there's a 50% chance that this is poisoned. Uh, you're going to die after you eat this. 
would you eat that meal? I don't think you would eat that meal. If there was, uh, the hostess uh, comes up on the microphone and says, listen, there's a 50% chance this aeroplane's about to fall out of the air. Would you stay on the aeroplane? You probably wouldn't stay on the air. You'd probably get off pretty quickly. And, you know, you'd do something about it, wouldn't you? And, and, and the reality is, you know, God never created marriage to 50% of marriages they end up in, 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 in divorce and separation and heartache. Um, and so God's word teaches us, it's God's heart, it's God's desire that happily ever after is not just a myth, but it can become a reality in our hearts and lives. Can I have an amen somewhere? In Jesus' name. Now, I do understand that separation and divorce in some cases is the right thing to do. And I want to preface this message with that. Uh, it takes two people to make a marriage work, not just one person. And in some cases where there's abuse or abusive behaviour or neglect or uh, other, other issues, it is the right thing to do. But my, my view is that couples by and large opt out for divorce without doing the preventative work required to build a great marriage without fighting for the marriage, doing whatever they can to build a great marriage. That by the time couples get into a place where, hey, maybe we need some help, by then, many times, it's going to be pretty tough going. Whereas if the preventative work has been done years in advance, it can help couples to avoid some of those challenges. When Nehemiah was, speak, was seeking to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, he experienced opposition. And so he gathers the people of Israel together and he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. Fight for this. We're living in an age, in a world that is systematically, steadily, relentlessly seeking to undermine the family unit. The institution of marriage, husband and wife relationship. Make no mistake, the battle is first and foremost a spiritual battle. Can I, can I hear an amen? Make no mistake, it's a spiritual battle. It's against the enemy of our souls, the devil who knows that if he can undermine the family unit, he can destroy a society. If he can undermine the family unit in a church, he can destroy the church. And that's why Nehemiah's words are so important. Don't be afraid of them Remember the Lord is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Fight for this. There's a fight and a struggle and a battle going on for our homes and our families. We need to be aware of that. We need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood, against your spouse, against your husband or wife. It's not against the government. Our battle, first and foremost, is against principalities and powers of this dark world. And we fight with spiritual weapons. We understand that at the core of the battle, it's a spiritual battle. We fight with spiritual weapons and we stand for biblical values in our society. We're never afraid to stand for what we believe and for what the Word of God speaks because God's Word is powerful and God's Word is a manual for life that helps us to be and to experience what God wants us to experience in our homes. So what I want to do in the next couple of weeks is just share some thoughts to encourage you, give you some principles um, on how we can experience the kind of marriage that God wants us to experience. And for those that are struggling, I pray to give you hope uh, and faith. And I just pray some of these principles will, uh, will also rely and, and also can be transferred into other relationships that we might have as well. Uh, one of the things that couples do when they get married is they share vows. A vow is a solemn promise. 
a promise to, to do certain things. And the word promise is an interesting word. It comes from the Latin word promittere, pro, meaning forward, mittere, meaning to send. Um, and what we do when we're making a promise is the promise is not for today because today we're in love. Today everything's going well. Today we've spent a lot of money to get here, especially on the marriage day, the wedding day, a lot of money being spent to get there. Today everything's, everything's fine, but I promise the promise is not for today. The promise is for the future. I declare this promise for the future because there may come a time when I don't feel love for you anymore. There may come a time where my feelings may change, where it feels like it's just all too hard, it's too difficult. And I vow, I declare, I promise that if I get there, this is what I'm going to do. I vow before you and before the, the people present here today, this is what I'm going to do. C.S. Lewis said, the promise made when I'm in love and because I'm in love to be true to the beloved as long as I live commits me to being true even if I cease to be in love. It's irrespective of how I feel. A promise must be about things that I can do about actions. No one can promise to go on feeling in a certain way. So what I want to do today is remind couples of the promise they made with each other. Remember you signed a paper Remember, you declared some things. We've got the pieces of paper in our, in our office, by the way. They're stored. Proof. Um, when you said, I do, let me remind you of what you said, I do too. <laughs> Pastor says to the groom, do you promise to love her, comfort her, honour and protect her? Worship and pray with her in sickness and in health, in good times and bad, and forsaking all others, keep only to her so long as you both shall live. And he says, I do. And then he says to her, do you promise to love him? You promise to honour and protect worship and forsaking all others. And she says, well, I do. All the weddings I've done, and I've done a few, no one's ever said, well, can we just think about this for a second just before we just, just, just pause? Can we just... Um, can we negotiate? Is there like, is there an opportunity to negotiate some of the things? We'll see how things go. It's always been, I do. I do. And embedded of the vows are a number of promises that I want to kind of just pull out and expand on today a little bit. Because these vows were not just created like, you know, just, you know, ideas plucked out of somewhere. Uh, these are biblical values that come straight out of Scripture. And my prayer is that they're going to speak to all of us today. And I kind of want to just expand on some of these thoughts today. And I pray they'll speak to us. First of the promises is the promise to love each other. Minister says, do you promise to love her, comfort her, honour and protect her? Key verse for every promise, I've got a key verse. Key verse for this promise is found in Genesis. The Bible says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they, make, and they become one flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one. Jesus makes reference to this particular scripture. Uh, Paul makes reference to this particular particular pre, uh, scripture in Ephesians as well. For marriage is going to be everything that we dreamed it to be. There needs to be this thing called love. Ooh, love. <laughs> question is, what is love? Big question, what is love? Uh, when we think of a relationship with two people... Uh, are in love, what do we think of? What does it look like? 
If you were to get a mental image, I mean, Hollywood, uh, social media, magazines have influenced our whole concept of what love really looks like. But what image do we get when we think of a couple that are in love? For me, the best image that, that I get is, you know, it's an old couple that are sort of holding hands, walking together, or two old people sitting on a, on a park bench just, uh, just speaking to each other. That's the picture that I get. Um, if they're Italians, if they're walking, one is usually walking ahead and the other one's slightly below. And, you know, depends on how, how things are in the relationship. But they're in love, make no mistake about it. Um, I often ask couples what they believe purpose of marriage is and they'll say things, it's to raise a family, help each other, encourage one another, etc., etc. And all of that is good. But I believe the purpose of a marriage is embedded in this verse. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one. Embedded in that scripture is the purpose of marriage, which is two people becoming one person. It's that uh, the longer two people are married, the more they'll become like each other. It's two people becoming one. And when we think about a relationship filled with love, what, we, what, 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 we're, what we're speaking about is, is couples who experience deep friendship, oneness, closeness. It's where couples talk, love being with each other. There's respect, understanding. It's where there's physical, emotional, spiritual intimacy. It's not just physical, it's emotional and spiritual. There's a, there's a oneness. It's two people that have come from two completely separate, separate lives and two completely different ways of doing things um, and two completely idea, different ideas about how we do life, different personalities. You know, uh, you know, usually they say opposites attract, you know, and so people think, oh, they're going to balance me and so on. And so it's these two people become one person, the more they walk together, the closer they are to each other. Heard this guy this week, I was in a waiting room. He's talking to another guy. He said, oh, I bought some lights. Uh, should get some extra points with the missus, you know. <laughs> Woohoo. He was talking to another guy, you know, thought he was pretty impressive. He should bought some lights for the missus, should get some extra points. That's love, by the way. That's a good definition of love right there. So when we say, I promise to love you, what we're saying is, if, if this is the thought that you get out of this, is it's, to, it's, a, it's a promise to pursue deep friendship. It's what love is. Um, yes, the rest of it is good too, but it's, it's, it's a promise to become best friends. Um, to pursue deep friendship, to enjoy spending time together. My favourite way of spending a day, you know, off is spending it with Lana. Two of us go off and do something. Best way to spend a night is go out to dinner together. It's best. That's what love is. I promise to pursue deep friendship. It's a simple concept. Yes, the ooh, ooh will happen sometimes. Yes, the feelings and all of that will be there sometimes. They're not always going to be there. But what can always be there is deep friendship. That when something goes wrong in my life, the first thing I want to do is I want to speak to my spouse about it. Then when I'm not sure what to do, I want to speak to my best friend about it. Then when I'm going through stuff, I want to speak to my best friend about it. That's love. That's what it's about. So how do we do that? 
Understanding, as C.S. Lewis said, that a promise must be about things that I can do, about actions. What can we do to fulfil the promise to love each other? Well, the best and simplest advice comes from Christ's letter to the Ephesian church. I love this, this letter and I've referred to it before, but here's what it says. Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. It was there before, it's not there anymore. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. One of the reasons why we fall out of love is because we stop doing the things we did at first. Couples start going out. You've heard me say this before. A lot of talking, questions, conversations. As trust develops in the relationship, conversations go deeper. People are more willing to open and be open and share about some of the deep things that are going on in their lives. The desire to be together, please the other person. Long phone calls. You hang up. No, you hang up. All right, I'm going to hang up. I'm going to count to three and we'll both hang up. Ready? One, two, three. You're still there. <laughs> That's when you're going out. After you've been married a few years... <laughs> And all of that is powerful, by the way. It's the ingredients of what marriage is really all about. It's deep friendship. It's what the ingredients are. And I love, I love the way the scripture says, Jesus says to the church, I know your deeds, your hard work and your, and your perseverance. You're doing a lot of work. You're doing some good things. And in a marriage, there can be a lot of good things being done. Um, there's a lot of hard work happening to support the, the marriage, the family, the home. But you've forsaken the first love. And I love the way Jesus says, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent is simply a change of mind. It's a change of how you think. Stop thinking the way you're thinking. Change the way you think. And if you do, your actions will start to change. It's not just about doing. It's about the relationship. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, this is a spiritual context, but it applies in a family and a marriage just as much. There's a lampstand in the family. There's a lampstand in the, fa- in, in, in the marriage. And if we don't do those things, that, la- that, that wick can slowly burn away. Reality is all of that requires intentionality and commitment. And just one little thing it also requires is time. I mean, if this is going to become a reality, you don't build a friendship on the run. You don't build a relationship. You certainly don't build a deep relationship on the run. Drive-through relationship doesn't, is not a reality. It takes time. And in my view, the biggest enemy warring against marriage and family is not the devil or society. Oh, the society. No, it's not even the devil. What I believe that is destroying our families and our marriage and our home, it's our pace of life. There's no margins. We're running at a million miles an hour. We are mortgaged to the hilt. We have no time to talk, let alone talk deeply. We're running our little preciouses to 15 different things because God forbid they should miss out on something. And because of that, we have no time to enjoy each other's company. There's no margin in our lives to enjoy 
The things that we're working so hard to, to get, to go out to dinner, go for a walk on the beach, spend time with family. We're doing life on the run and we think we can have a great marriage. We, we, we want to plant watermelon seeds and reap apples. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't happen. Good relationships in marriage or even just friendships require time, require us to speak to each other. There's no, there's no shortcuts to a, to a deep friendship. People, people you know, we're living in a society today. We've got everything we have. But one of the things that's missing in so many people's lives is deep friendships. Why? They take a lot of work. To develop a friendship with someone takes a lot of time, takes intentionality. You get to get on the phone, you've got to catch up. As you catch up, you've got to trust, you've got to build, tr- build trust, conversations and so on and so on. Then there's always going to be a little bit of conflict. We, and, and as soon as we see conflict, you know, oh, forget it, the relationships. No, you've got to work through the conflict. Intimacy is always on the other side of conflict. Conflict is the door to intimacy. But you've got to be willing to work through it to walk through that particular door. I always tell couples, I say, listen, conflict is a double-edged sword. It's either, it's either gonna cause you to drift apart or it's gonna cause you to get closer to one another. It all depends on your approach to it. When we say, I promise to love you, not only does it include spending time together, it also includes being patient. 1 Corinthians 30, being patient and kind. Resolving conflict, putting the needs of your spouse above your own, calling during the day and say, how you doing? Doing fun things together, finding out what your spouse likes, doing the, doing the chores together. So they were showed, where women were asked, you know, when are you most attracted to your husband? When he's doing chores. <laughs> I reckon that survey was done by... Um, Female researchers, but anyway, that's just that, that could be a possibility. When we say I promise to love you, that promise must be about things that we can do. And we know what we need to do. Second of the promises, if the promise is the promise to worship and pray together, I'll love this. The minister says, Do you promise to worship and pray with with her? I do. Key verse for the promise is Joshua's words to the people of Israel choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua said, you know, I've made a decision. We're not going to serve these other gods. We're not going to serve the, I know we don't have any statues that we serve. I'm not going to serve the God of pleasure. I'm not going to serve the God of greed. I'm not going to serve the God of, of, of possessions and other power and so on. I'm going to serve the Lord. There's one principle that is going to protect our marriages, help us have a great marriage. It's to worship together, pray together. Every good house is built on a solid foundation. A physical house I'm talking about is built on a solid foundation. And there is no better foundation to build a a marriage on than on a spiritual foundation. I often think about our parents um, who had no education, grade one if you're lucky, no internet, no books, no James Dobson. How did they survive without James Dobson? had limited opportunities, no internet. But one day they gave their life to Christ. One day they heard the message of the gospel and they, and they responded by saying, yes, yes, I give my life to Jesus Christ. Lord, be the Lord and Saviour of my life. Not just my Saviour, but be the Lord. Be, be, the, be the boss of my life. Be, I wanna serve you, Lord God. 
and they surrendered their lives to Him and all they had was the Word of God and some basic teaching. And they were blessed. When they read the Bible and the Bible says in James, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, they believed that to be true. And so they prayed. They prayed in the good times. They prayed in the bad times. They prayed when they were going through good situations. They prayed when they were going in trouble. They prayed. They, had a, they developed a discipline of prayer, a daily time where they would spend with God and cry out to God. They understood that when we pray, things begin to change. And so they prayed. And there was a prayer meeting. They came because they believed in the, they believed that prayer had the capacity to make a difference in their lives. And so they cried out to God. When the Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. They understood the power of the Word of God and so they read it, they studied it, they memorised it. Uh, and when there was a Bible study, they came because they wanted, they were hungry to learn more about the Word of God. They believed in the power of God's Word. And the Bible says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see uh, the, day, the day coming in. They had a revelation of the power of the gathering together of the believers. They, they understood these simple truths and they believed them. They had church FOMO. Scared they would miss out on something, so they were there. Whenever there was church, they were there. If it was a Bible study, they were there. If it was a prayer meeting, they were there. Because they believed there was something about the gathering together of the house of God. There was something very powerful. They understood a simple, simple principle that if we are planted, those that are planted in the house of God shall flourish in the courts of our God. And it wasn't just flourish themselves. It was their marriages would flourish. Their families would flourish. There was something about being connected to God's people. And so they gathered together. And one of the consequences of that decision is their marriage and family. Life was strong. Pastor Joe, what was one of the keys to having a great marriage? It's found in this simple promise. I promise to worship and pray with you. I promise to pray, worship and pray, which means I promise, I promise to pray. To pray as an individual, I promise to pray. I promise to pray for you, for us. I promise to pray together, to love the Word of God, to love the house of God. It doesn't get any simpler than that. What are some of the actions? The actions are pretty simple. It's pretty simple to pray and worship together. Third of the promises is to stay together in tough times. I promise to be with you in sickness and in health and in good times and bad Key verse for this promise is the words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. One of the things that we need to understand is that we will experience crises in life. It's the winds, the floods, the storms. Um, each of these have the capacity to threaten the integrity of a house. What I mean by the integrity of a house is, is, is it strong enough to withstand the storm that comes? The integrity of the house. Um, the thing about natural disasters, and we kind of had one almost this week, winds and everything, is they seem to come out of nowhere they threaten to overwhelm you, 
and they can cause a lot of damage. And most couples, when they get married, they don't expect the challenges to come in life. But the reality is we do experience tough times. Stuff that just seems to come out of nowhere. Th things that happen that we, we just didn't expect to happen. And they do. Challenges come in many shapes and sizes. Physical challenges. Emotional challenges. Financial challenges. And on it goes. Things you never expected. You know, I didn't expect interest rates to keep going up. But now we're here. And now it's tough. What do, you, what do you do when the storms come? How do you navigate those seasons? Well, one of the things that will help you overcome the challenges, well, one of the things that's going to help us navigate those storms and seasons of life is to make a promise. A promise that says, a promise to stay, a promise to work, a promise that in good times and bad, I'm not moving. It's, it's the promise that says, I'm going to do everything I can you can't promise for someone else, but you can promise for yourself. I'm going to do everything I can to work through this. So how do you prepare for the tough seasons? We've already talked about a couple of these. Uh, you do the work of building a strong friendship in the marriage. You love each other. You, listen, how do we prepare for the storm? You, you prepare in the summer knowing that there's a winter coming. Proverbs says, learn from the ants. The ants who gather in the summer, they gather because they know that there's a winter coming. And so when winter comes, they're not shocked or surprised because they, they've got a storehouse of food. Watch the movie Ants. It might teach something. Um, powerful thought. Proverbs says, learn from the ants. How do we prepare for the storms in a marriage? You prepare in, in, in the good times, in the, in the times when things are good. That's when the foundations are built. And so there's just a couple of thoughts. One of them is you, 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 you prepare by building a strong friendship in the marriage. John Gottman says, from, who's, who's written a book called The Seven Principles of a, of a Great Marriage, thoroughly recommend the book, thoroughly recommend. Every couple should read that book. He says this, from deep friendship springs not only love, but the fortitude to weather marital storms. Couples who have a detailed knowledge, he calls them love maps, who have detailed knowledge of each other's worlds are far better prepared to cope with stressful events and conflict. Build a strong relational foundation, you build a strong spiritual foundation. In other words, we, 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 we pray and, and, and prayer is not just something we do when we're in trouble. Prayer is a lifestyle that we live. So many of us, me included, you know, it's amazing that when things are good, you don't have time to pray. But as soon as you're in a storm, mate, the time seems to sort of come up to the surface. Suddenly you're praying and suddenly you're fasting. Suddenly you're reading your word and you're getting a word from God. You're at every prayer meeting. You're at every Bible study. You know, I'll be there and because, because we're in a storm. Build a strong foundation, a strong spiritual foundation in the good times and in the tough times. And when you build it in the good times, it will sustain you in the difficult times. You build a strong relational foundation, spiritual foundation, and then you trust the faithfulness of God. And then you hang on to God. Paul said to the Corinthians, no temptation, no test, no trial. has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted, tested, tried beyond what you can bear. But when you are Tempted or tried, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it by the grace of God. 
by the grace of God. You do everything you can, you do the best that you can, and then you hang on to the faithfulness of God as an anchor for your soul, the Word of God says. As an anchor, you hang on to God. Say, God, I just thank you that you're gonna see me through. I thank you, Father, that you're gonna get us to the other side of this. You're the God who's, who's, uh, who's above the storm. You're the God that speaks to storms in the name of Jesus. First of all, you make a promise, nothing's gonna move us. And you do everything you can, you pray, talk, you keep on talking. And if you're still struggling, get help. Get help from the body of Christ, counsellors, above all else, trust the faithfulness of God. Fourth promise is the promise to remain faithful. Forsaking all others, cling only to you as long as we both shall live. Key verse for this promise is catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. The context of that scripture is a relationship. Book in the Bible, Songs of Solomon is um, M15 plus. So just read it with that. Sorry. Um, it's about a relationship between, and then in the midst of this incredible relationship, catch for us the little foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. We're living in a world where immorality is rampant, sex is embedded in our culture, where porn has never been so readily accessible. And if we think as Christians we're not affected by this, then we're kidding ourselves. We are kidding ourselves. And I, and I think, I think, the big question for me in this subject is, you know, some people, you know, we hear about, oh, so-and-so fell and blah, 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 blah. We hear about that kind of stuff and, and we so easily and quickly judge. Now, the question for me is how do people, how does it happen? How do people become unfaithful? When people make the promise to be faithful in marriage, they mean it. They, they thought inf- in, in, uh, the thought of infidelity is just completely unthinkable. Of course, I promise. I promise. I promise. I promise. So how does it happen? My belief is that no one wakes up one morning and says, well, today I'm going to destroy my life, my marriage, my children for generations. Linda Wolf says, being unfaithful is a symptom, not a syndrome, in the same way that fever is a manifestation of an infection. So often we try and deal with the fever but what we need to deal with is the infection. What are the infections that contribute to infidelity today? It's uncontrolled addictions, lack of discipline. In some cases, a lack of, a failure to grow up. <laughs> grow up and take responsibility. A marriage with no life, no deep friendships. Ongoing stress, we underestimate it. I will do a sermon some point on, on David, how David fell, and we can so easily judge David, but, but it's just interesting to look at, you know, what, what caused him to, what, what caused David to, to so blatantly get off track? Man after God's own heart, guy that loved God, he loved God. There was no question about his love. For, what caused this to happen? My, my belief is, there's a, there's a little, there's a few, and we'll share it later, but uh, this is a little bit. Anyway, it's, you know, the Bible says when the kings went out to war, David stayed home. What, what I believe is that David was exhausted. He was exhausted. He'd been fighting, 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 fighting. We underestimate the effect of weariness on our soul. Uh, someone said, weariness makes cowards of us all. It's just tiredness, deep, ongoing pain. And, 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 and maybe that contributed to that. 
So what do you do with the deep and going, ongoing pain? You deal with it. You acknowledge the reality of it and, you, and you, you talk about it. You find a place or someone somehow to deal with that pain. Ongoing personal stress, all these things can contribute. For me, the biggest issue is not the big things, it's the little things. It's the little compromises, little decisions, little thoughts. Little things like believing this will never happen to me, it's just on my phone, it won't hurt. So how do we protect ourselves? Beautiful scripture in, in Solomon. It's Solomon speaking to his son in Proverbs, um, Proverbs 4.23. I love this. It says, it's Solomon, older Solomon speaking to a young son. Is what he says. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. All the actions or the words that we speak come out of our heart. So guard your heart, protect your heart. Well, how do you do that? He says, keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your, from your lips. Be careful what you expose your heart to. Be careful what you say. Dirty jokes, crude statements. Ha, ha, ha. Seemingly innocent flirting. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Be careful what you watch. There's all that reality garbage on TV. Oh, it's just fun. <laughs> You're exposing your heart to something, a spirit. Be careful. Be careful what you think. Give careful thought to your paths for your feet. And be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Be careful where you go, who you go with, who you spend time with. The Bible says, bad company corrupts good character. Be careful. Good company builds good character. Spend time with people that are going to help you to become more and more like Christ. And above all else, above all else, above all else, you rely on the grace of God. That at that point, you're going to always obey the principles of God's word. I love uh, Jude, the last verse in Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before God. To him be glory and ever. Key aspects of marriage ceremony are the vows, the commitment. Promises that couples make to each other. Couples look at each other in the eyes. Sometimes a bit of a tear. Promise, a promise, a promise. I promise. I promise. Make a declaration for the future. Not the present. Everything's cool right now, but there may come a time when there's no more love. There's no more feelings. Temptations, sin nature. And they say, I vow, I vow. I declare, I promise that if I get there, this is what I'm going to do. I promise that if I get to here, this is what I'm going to do. I promise to love you always, worship and pray with you in good times and bad, forsaking all others, keep only to you as long as we both shall live. Four promises that if we as C.S. Lewis said, do the simple things, simple things that correspond to each one. The actions. They will protect us from harm, help us through the challenges, they will guide us.
And most of all, I believe they'll help us have a great marriage. Church, we need to know that all hell is fighting against us, against our family and, and marriages, more than ever. And I, I sometimes we can think, oh, this is the worst it's ever been. Um, back when the Bible was being written, in fact, you go to the New Testament, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Man, things were a thousand times worse than what they are now. We might talk about that some other time. It's always been bad. Strategies of the enemy have always been the same. And we need to know that all hell is fighting against our family and our marriage. That's why there's the movie, The War Room. Great movie. Great movie. We all need a place where we can go. We do battle. We fight. We fight. We fight. We pray. We pray. Pastor Joe, things are going well. Pray. Pray. We've got our society is fighting against our marriage and a home and family. Man, if that's ever true, it's true today. And we have a sin nature. Never blame the devil for our own personal sin nature. Social media that is fighting against our marriage. And as Nehemiah said, don't be afraid of any of these. Don't be afraid of any of these. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families your sons and your daughters, your wives and your pray homes. And above all else, learn to depend on the grace and the power of God to fulfill your promise and His promise towards you to protect, guide and lead us by His grace and for His glory. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Will you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just reach out to the Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's the kind of message where you just got to go away and digest it. It's not the kind of message where, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, <laughs> count me in. No, it's the kind of message you need to just go away and do a stock take, an audit. How are we doing? How are we really doing? What, 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 what little foxes are creeping in? Which ones are they? How much time are we spending together? How well do we know each other really? Is there, is, is, there, is there some little compromises that have kind of crept in? Um, as, as I said before, no one wakes up one morning and, and whether it's infidelity or whatever it is, marriage has fallen apart. No one wakes up and makes that decision. That decision was made a long, long time ago with some little, 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 little choices. And the way back is little choices. Little ones. No, I'm not doing that anymore. No, I'm not going there anymore. I'm going to stop watching that. I'm going to start doing this. Got to cut back on work. Got to start to make some time. Make a list of 10 things. That's what we've got to start doing. 
Gotta start calling each other every day. How you doing? Just little things. It brings us back to where we were. Do the things you did at first. And watch your marriage begin to grow. Be strong. Um, I'm over time, I know, but I was thinking this week about this particular older gentleman that I know. Um, he lives in the state and um, he's in his 90s now, actually has Alzheimer's. Beautiful man, godly man. Um, but I just think about his life, you know, just thinking accumulated stuff and properties and stuff like that and by all means successful came out with nothing suitcase and built and now you have dementia or something and you've got you've got to stop and think no it's it's just spoke to me so clearly you you got to stop and think what was all of that <laughs> what's really important what's really important and as a, as a generation, we, we're running, we're running. Buying and getting more. And stuff that has n- no significance whatsoever for eternity. Um, what, what, what really brings happiness? What really brings joy? What really brings significance in life? Um, it's three things, I think. One of them um, is Family. Irrespective of where you are in the end, what's, what's, what's going what's to help you is to be able to sit on a park bench with 80, 90-year-olds and just sit. Nothing greater than that. Friends, deep friendships, beautiful. And above all else, faith. And these are the best years of our life. Every day we wake up, we should say, Lord, you created me. Help me to serve your purposes. As for me and my house, we're not going to serve the Amorites. We're not going to serve the Jebusites. We're not going to serve greed. We're not going to serve pleasure. We're not going to worship stuff. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and be everything that He's called us to be by His grace and for His glory. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Your Word has the capacity to speak deep into our spirit and into our soul. And I just pray, Father, I just thank you for this house. I thank you for every family that's represented here, every individual, uh, Father, that's represented here, every family, every couple, Lord God. I just pray by your spirit, Father, that you will guide, lead, protect, that this word will not serve to condemn, but will serve to repair, restore, and to build up in the name of Jesus. I thank you for this family. I thank you for our family as a church. We just thank you for the grace that's on this family. We thank you, Father, covering on this family. We thank you for the privilege of being part of what you're doing in this expression of the body of Christ. Protect by your spirit, I pray. Reveal truth. Let your purposes be accomplished in our hearts and in our lives, we pray, so that we can serve your purposes above all else. This is our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. You have a great week in Jesus' name.